0: Very, very carefully. The gentleman posed a question. Will you answer the gentleman's question? You've got to challenge, you've got to rock the damn boat. I'm ready right if you are. I should have been an artist. I had the soul of an artist, the temperament of an artist, the intellect of an artist. That's a good idea.
1: All right, Doctor, tell us the truth.
0: And so,
2: Truth and Soul Incorporated. The New Zealand Advertising Podcast.
1: Today I'm talking to Shane Bradnick of TBWA Auckland. Shane was born in Zimbabwe and has lived and worked in South Africa, Australia and now New Zealand. Uh, we talk about his initial job which was as a teacher and what inspired him to stop wasting his time and instead do something meaningful like advertising Uh, we discuss the difference between the advertising cultures in those different countries Uh, we look at who's been the biggest influences on his career spoiler alert not me and talk about the one piece of work which sums him up as a creative Uh, he's a good fella so listen in Uh, Welcome back to the uh, Truth and Soul New Zealand Advertising Podcast. We've had a bit of a hiatus We uh, called COVID-19 and through the lockdown, attempted to put a couple together. One one with uh, Sir John Hegarty, which I I think came out all right. One with Mike O, which was borderline. And I sat down and did a Zoom chat with Shane Bradnick, but we had uh, technical problems, mainly caused by... Uh, his cat, I think, and um, various malfunctions. And when I sent the uh, tape into the professionals of this organisation, which is, say, Franklin Road, who put everything together, uh, they said that we could probably do a better one. So we now sit down, post the lockdown, but still with the world burning in flames of various kinds. I wake up every morning and I look at the news and I... (laughs) just can't believe what is going on, um, generally. But, Shane Bradnick, thanks very much for um, coming down to um, talk about things, talk about advertising in life. How was your lockdown? I probably asked you that in the middle of your lockdown, but hopefully it was okay. Thanks, mate.
2: Thanks for actually having me back. Yeah, that was, a, there was a, fun, a fun try on that um, via Zoom. I think my Zoom also somehow kept on logging out, so I went silent. Every now and then, as well, so that yes. was making me quite nervous that maybe I was sounding dumber than I really am.
1: The, the, <laughs> um, I think that was that was the reason that we could tell that podcast because he did he's a pair of a standard, um, slightly subnormal, but we'll actually um, I, I do better than that now.
2: Yeah, no, the lockdown was good. I mean, um, how great is it to be out and about and actually be in a country where we can actually sit down face to face and actually see people? It's actually fantastic, to be honest.
1: Uh, uh, Facebook is much maligned, probably rightly, but one of the great things about it is that um, all of, pro- you're probably in the same boat, all of my friends all over the world can look at my um, Facebook life and curse me for yeah. just, we're, we're, li- we're living in a pretty normal life down in here. And the, the trouble is that these things can date so much we're going to have a sudden outbreak and then exactly, people listen yeah. this in two weeks' time it's all bad. But for the moment...
2: Yeah, I was on a I was on a um, another Zoom Zoom chat with some some of our colleagues in in LA, um, and there were a couple of us on on this side, and they were they were actually quite freaked out because they hadn't seen people in the same room for quite a while. <laughs> they were, it took them a while to go. Wait, sorry, we just need to have a moment here. We actually haven't seen. We just patched into people's houses as individuals. So yeah,
1: that, um, they have people have thought that the, that um, the lockdown would produce a change in people's behavior when we came out i that we would go back to not uh, we would carry on not hugging and um shaking hands in a different way and i think to be honest that would be a really good thing if we didn't do it yeah. because you, you you just never know what what's going to happen. Also, I, I don't, don't like, like close physical <laughs> contact with people. I don't <laughs> you, know. You
2: really were with. hoping you were hoping that we would all like sort of come
1: out and not touch each other. That, that was my plan. That was Bill Gates, like me, is uh, an introvert. And that, that was his, that's his true evil plan. It's not to do with microchips or anything. It's to do with uh, cutting out hugging. Are you, you, you mentioned
2: that you wake up and look at the news. Have you found that that's become something that you do a lot more of and like almost, you know, compelled and almost compulsively, or? Is well, that just how you always like sort of
1: well, I used to, um, in the, the old days when I, I kind of had a job, I used to um, wake up and before I got out of bed, i go through all my emails. Yeah. And now I do the most important thing, which is check the the fishing forecast yeah, yeah. for the day. And then when I've done that, I go to <laughs> The Guardian. And when I've done that, I go to The New York Times. And when I've done that, I go to The Times. And uh, I go to Twitter. And at about that time, I'm normally in tears. <laughs> what the oh, fuck no. is
2: going on? And Twitter's Twitter's uh, Twitter's an amazing thing. I mean, I don't know if you saw. Um, you know, there's so much in the news, but one that kind of slipped under the radar, and I'm not too sure what you know how how valid it is. But I think it was on the Independent that the Pentagon came out and said they're about to release some information about confirmation that they've they have in their possession material or a whole craft, and they described it as an off-world vehicle. So the fact that even like sort of the Pentagon coming out and saying they might have a UFO hasn't even like sort of taken over
1: well when I I, I seem to recall something about like that like a couple of months ago yeah it was, I, don't I think
2: the, the time the times had uh, had a couple of things released by the Pentagon but this was going to be an actual potential confirmation that they have an off-wheel off-world vehicle anyway who knows um, um, the news the news every day I think it's a dangerous thing to kind of like get sucked into anyway it's, I think I think one good thing about when well, no, I don't say a good thing. I think um, this whole last six months is that there has been a bit of a shared experience. Everyone's experience has been very different. But, you know, even when you chat to people, it gives you a good 10 minutes of conversation to actually, you know, um, get to know them, get, to get a little bit more of like a window into their life before you just jump into like the awkward small chat. You know, everyone can talk about
1: Yeah, we've got the awkward <laughs> small chat coming. Yeah, it, it's how was your lockdown? Yeah. and And the number of people that I've come across who have gone, they loved every minute of it. Of which I am one.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, quite surprising. I thought I'd be the only person. I'd be, you know, like lock, locked up at the beach with um, two dogs, sadly near one. Yeah, um, you know, really, kind of um, reveling in in the solitude and seeing no one apart from my few neighbours. And there's quite a few people who've had that. Was it? But uh, I guess you've got a, a young family and yeah, not so much uh, relaxation. I mean it was it was it was um it was actually quite enjoyable
2: it was lovely to be home for that period of time and be able to be with your family Yeah I think work was pretty relentless I mean those yeah. those sort of um teams and zoom chats yeah you know one after another can be quite exhausting um but it was lovely to be able to come straight out and you know create a bit of distance and you know say when work was and when home was and to be able to have the family right there was quite nice and I think we were lucky because you know we had a we had a nice warm house and we're quite quite fortunate in that way. So yeah, and I, I mean I've never seen so many sort of suburban families take up things like cycling and walking around walking around the neighbourhood. <laughs> all of <a laughs> sudden, walk- speak, walking around. It, everyone right. everyone was all of a sudden like really active as a family, which was because I guess it was the only thing you could really do. Um,
1: and I and for me, as I love walking with dogs, I could spend all day walking with dogs.
2: I, that was. I'm sorry to hear about your, um, your other dog, George,
1: um, George. Yeah. And uh, that was, uh, that, that was quite, um, distressing. I won't, I won't go into it now, pet owners, but, um, to, uh, two things, two things come out of that experience. For those of you who don't know, um, uh, George was a staffy and, um, we were kind of inseparable for about, um, <clears throat> 12 years. And he, he went downhill really fast at the end and, um, Went away across the rainbow bridge. Two things came out of that. One, the support from everyone yeah. was um, uh, really gratifying. But um, a lot of um, yeah out- outpourings of support, which uh, uh, which um, really really helped. And the other thing was uh, for pet owners. I had got young Monty, who was who's a kind of George II clone. Um, 18 months ago and it made the whole thing because i know that all dog owners particularly like dread that you know yeah, what's going to come and having having uh, Monty made made the whole process um not nearly as painful as it might have been i don't understand that anyway so that, that's a public service announcement uh on behalf of uh, pet owners everywhere i guess at some stage in this conversation we' have to talk about advertising um to about zoom uh, zoom meetings i Everybody seems to go. Oh my God, it's so tiring. I've been on Zoom meetings all day. Uh, I haven't because I'm, I've only been on a few. But is it is that is that worse than uh, meeting meetings than physical meetings because you're always on because you're sitting there staring at the camera and you know that people are looking at you. Whereas in your meeting, you can you can kind of drift off and look out the window and 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 um, uh, uh, passes by and whatever, no, nobody notices, but you can't do that in a Zoom. Is that why they're so tough? I mean, from my experience, was, it,
2: it was a bit of that. I, I mean, I find normal face-to-face meetings, um, there isn't as much, there's a lot of sort of nuanced things happening. You can kind of look at people and see how they're feeling in a Zoom meeting, like there's the absence of that. So, it, it, you know, you, you're constantly like sort of trying to guess how people are feeling or whether right, whether yeah. what you're presenting or talking about is actually making sense or landing. I think the fact that you are on camera sort of does raise anxiety, mildly, yes. you know, and, and a, you know, I think, you know, you're dead right. Like in an all meeting, you might sort of drift off or you might sort of, you know, be able to just stare off into the distance while you think, and people can kind of like still assume that you're paying attention because you probably are, but there isn't that need just to be always feeling like you're presenting the news in a way, you know, yeah. like sort of maybe one upside, um, might be that kiwis as South Africans aren't really good on camera you know we've always we've always sometimes made ads going let's get, let's get some real people until we put them in front of the camera and realize that they're terrible at being actors yes maybe maybe we kind of like the one experience um or one benefit is that we're all going to come out of this with more experience of like sort of talking to cameras and like sort of <laughs> be aware of our our acting abilities yeah, well, and, yeah. and I and I'm oh, sorry and also I think like sort of one of the other reasons is that you know people sort of schedule meetings and normally in meetings there'll be a few sort of you know, like maybe half an hour in between meetings where yeah. the thing that wasn't really chatted about in the meeting you can talk about afterwards and you actually get a clear understanding of what was spoken about or if you're talking about ideas. You know, sometimes you can clear things up and that's where some of the best ideas come from is like after a meeting, a quick sort of inca- yes. a casual chat. But these sort of Zoom meetings normally sort of back onto each other. So you never really wrap it up. So you still sort of full thought in one, one sort of um, direction and then you just jump straight onto another one. So there isn't that little decompression moment in between. So...
1: Yeah and and I think that the, the everything has to be formalized. Mm. So you're not having a you know you'd I in the days when I actually did something for a living I you know wander around and go and, and go and talk to people. Yeah. I didn't have to make a time to do it. I just see that there at a desk and I go over yeah. and have a chat room for 5 minutes. And now it seems to be that you have to get everything for a time and you put anything in for half an hour that has to last for half an hour. Exactly. And, yeah. And,
2: and I think I mean I find in an, in, an, in an agency life um, a lot of that sort of walking around and you can actually see how people feel or if they need a hand or if they you know when when everyone's on a zoom meeting you know they're just a little picture and obviously are trying to be their most presentable self so you you miss maybe some of that subtleties like sort of are they actually you know do they wearing trousers well <laughs>
1: <laughs> until they stand up yeah. <laughs> well, uh, uh, you know talking about uh, presenting you've got you know, uh, celebrity squares, you've got nine different people looking at you. Uh, And so much of presenting is about reading the room. And it's very difficult to read the room.
2: And then then all these weird sort of etiquettes and rules came in where, you know, when someone's talking and if it's a presentation, everyone puts (coughs) puts their sort of uh, microphones on mute. So you don't get any of that feedback. So you might be reading something Mm. that you thought was quite funny. And you just get like silence and then that sort of throws you off a bit. Yeah. So you got, yeah, so, you, so, you got I'm so used to that, you just keep going. <laughs> well, then, well then you just go either like was everyone being polite before, or did, but also you need, you know so you need to keep checking in like is everyone still there? Well, did that make sense? And so you, you constantly like doing this double take on everything you do, and I think that, that sort of leads to a bit
1: of. I, I remember as a junior in London when for some reason my boss decided that it was okay for me to. You know, I've been in the business for. For you know, only a few months, it would be like to, to go to big club meetings and present scripts and try to be funny. And you start you know, read you read out the script, and the first joke goes, and there is not there is nothing, and it's very you 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 just want to like crawl up into a and or just go to the toilet or just just get out of there. But you have you have to get in. You've just got keep six, six scripts to go, and you're like, Fine. and at that. I kind of learned through terrible experience that so the is that you have to, you just talk louder, <laughs> <laughs> and just keep going, and yeah, and it, it, kind of, it kind of works. Either that, or
2: just you know, like sort of actually be quite upfront. I mean, a couple of times when it's gone badly, you just go, "Well, this isn't really going according to plan." And sometimes that loosens people up because I think sometimes there's as much like anxiety on that side yeah. of the on that side of the table, and like people yeah. don't don't feel that they can. A lot of it's like a judgment thing where they go, Well, I need to like reserve my judgment until the end, until someone asks me what I think, as opposed to, you know, if you're going to let people just relax and firstly just see you as a person, was it? Wasn't it?
1: A that, was, that was the issue, I think. They saw yeah. me as a person. That was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they're all looking at their boss. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, there's, there's you know, three or four clients who are looking at their boss and, and going, I don't know. going like to react. So they've, they've, they've felt his reaction until they so. get their turn. Yeah. Well, but then they're asked to, to feedback first, which is the way. there you yeah. go. I kind uh, of like all of them, but... Like. Um, except there were some issues, but I think... I, uh, Jeremy, what do you... Uh. Uh, now, Shane. Uh, hi, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, formal time. Now, you're not from round here, are you? Um, Ponsonby, No. Uh, <laughs> uh, no. No. No, I'm not. I'm so fine. you you started. It, it um it's it it's a bit odd because we kind of had this conversation two months ago and um trying to trying to get out the the, the pithy and interesting parts of it. But you, you started in advertising in South Africa. You moved. So I'm. I supposed to be a question, not not a statement. Um, that you grew up on a farm.
2: Yes. Well, I grew up in. Um, I was born in Zimbabwe. Sort of moved to South Africa when I was uh, sort of about ten years old. Sort of grew up on a farm. My dad was a farmer. Um, went to a small local school. Um, eventually What's your
1: dad uh, doing now? Is he
2: still with us? Yes, yes. So he's he's still, still farming. Still in South Africa. Still farming. Yeah. Um, one of one of the one of the casualties of COVID was um, missing out on a trip to go and visit them in April. We were we were planning a trip to go and see them there. Yes. So. That was a bit unfortunate. Yeah, but they're still, they're still good, um, thankfully. Um, still on a farm, similar sort of area to where we lived. Sort of it's the northeast part of South Africa, around where all the um, game reserves are. So the Kruger National Park that yeah. area is very beautiful. Um, yeah, so I moved, I moved there. Sort of grew up on a farm. It was lovely. Um, went to Johannesburg to study just because that's... Where did you go to study? Well, I went to study teaching first. I was going to be a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mostly because I didn't know what I wanted to be, and I think you, there were there were some um, scholarships available, and it kind of felt like maybe something I'd be interested in. Yes, um, and did that for a year and a bit. Um, Realised, um, and it was a good experience. Met some great guys. Uh, so
1: you're um, actually in a school teaching.
2: Yeah, I went to I went to, went to a couple of those. You know, when you when the student teachers come in, there's yeah, there's people who are en- en- enthusiastic and optimistic about the future of children. Um, when, no, no, no. no, no. Yeah. So I went in and did, did a couple of those practicals, which was a good experience. But I think I learned um, about myself that I didn't know enough about myself, didn't know enough about the world, and sort of felt that I probably owed it to owed it to if I was going to be a teacher to know know a bit more. And um, yeah, if I asked myself the honest question, I don't think I could have seen myself being a teacher long term. So I didn't know, didn't really know what I wanted to do. But I was staying at a at a sort of university residence. And the, my friend who was in the room next door to me was doing advertising and I'd hung out with him and that looked really interesting. He was studying design, art direction, advertising and, and it seemed quite interesting.
1: I guess compared to teaching. Yeah. And
2: those are the days like sort of where teaching, you know, we're still pretty old school. I, I remember one of our lessons that we had to do for the whole year was blackboard writing. So there you go. That's. Yeah. That really like, sort of, Really sort of. um.
1: It's high tech stuff.
2: High tech stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, so, you, so you, uh, you, yeah, you, So you followed your frat mate and just decided to yeah. So studied advertising studied again.
2: advertising for for a few years. Uh, um, they just set up a school called the AAA School of Advertising, and was set up by the um, sort of the agencies themselves. It was a, an organisation where the agencies got together and set up a school, which was quite yeah. interesting. Um, studied there um, It was a three-year sort of advertising and design degree. Got into advertising, had an internship at um, an agency called Network, which became a BBDO, ne- uh, BBDO network, um, and then got into a small agency. Well, it actually was DDB at the time, so started at DDB as an intern. DDB Johannesburg? Hmm. Yeah, um, and was a, uh, as an art director. As an art director, yeah. and a, and a really good system in South Africa, which I think put me in good stead, was. You go in as a, as a junior or a, an assistant and you actually um, are paired with a senior art director and they're responsible for you and you sort of just become their... their yeah, don't use that word. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and, and for two years, um, I worked with a lady named Tanya Barker who taught me a lot. She was a great art director, classic old school art director, you know, computers that only just started coming in, um, but, but really smart at a craft, really clever... And you end up doing all their layouts, you know, um, anything they need you to mock up. Um, you get to um, just be bossed around and learn the craft.
1: But Presumably you weren't getting paid very much.
2: No, no, but it was more than I'd ever got paid before. So it felt like a lot to me.
1: M- more than teaching, more than the student teacher. More than,
2: yeah. more than, more than uh, sort of working at a restaurant or a bar. Um, and then, um, but on the upside then, you might sort of do all the all the all the dirty work and the sort of the menial tasks. You get to go do all the shoots, get to sit on all the briefs, mm. um, you know, learn about the actual craft and art direction.
1: Did, did you go up to her at times and go, oh, "I've, you know, that brief you're working on, I've had these ideas. What do you yeah. reckon?" Yeah, and she laughed. And, and yeah, she was like, "Nice try, buddy." Yeah. Um, but I think she was she was really
2: sort of um, open to that. And In fact, most briefs that they did get as a senior team, she would like give me a crack at them as well. And then slowly, mm. you'd you would do the you know the the, the less important jobs like um, you know the McDonald's happy meal posters or you know the the packaging sort of um, inserts or mm. then slowly like sort of um, you know a few like retail ads still being overseen by those people but you you knew that you were learning it was a clear sort of space that you go we know that you're a junior you're a learner
1: that sounds like fantastic it's amazing if, if, if slightly from the agency uh, time consuming and that you've and you've got your art director who who spending half a time teaching and you would but you would it that, that was efficient in the way because you would
2: double as a studio hand as well so you would yeah. you'd be you'd be in the studio yeah you know you know if you needed um you'd be sort of macking up stuff or finished art and, and stuff like that so you would be you'd be sort of um part of a part of the system there but you know your bigger responsibility was to learn and then what they would do is they would have junior copywriters as well in a similar sort of um role and then hopefully if they worked out they would have a young team after two years but trained well and i think it was different times where potentially agencies could afford that people had had time to actually and it was part of their jobs to kind of train because you know hopefully if you have a good foundation into an agency you become better at the job and hopefully stay there for
1: longer so the, so the copyrights would have an apprentice copywriter as well yeah. were you in a team with the other apprentice no. or no
2: no so maybe after a couple of years um they would try and try out as a team mm. Uh, which happened, and I was I was I was with a girl, I um, can't remember her name, uh, but um, and we worked together for about six months, um, and then Damon Damon Stapleton he he had come in, and he was a young writer. He had a bit more life experience. I think he had been a photographer beforehand, got yeah. into advertising. He had come in with another, made of his as a team as a young team, um, but we started working together just on the side, and we sort of found found a connection and. Partnership, and then eventually, I think um, the ECD at the time, Louis Gavin, sort of decided that we would we would work well together, and he teamed up, us up, which was which was great. But I think it's 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 one of the things that I talk a lot about at our agency, and I just don't think we have the time or the resource. But I think a lot of young people come into this industry, and they're not they're not given any of that foundation and that training. You know they they just come in and they go, "Well, I might know how to use a few computer programs that makes me an art director or mm-hmm. and then we just throw them straight into jobs and they have to learn while they do it, but they never learn why or how or the craft of it or the um the reasons behind why we do what we do
1: no, I mean it does sound like a, a very you know, wonderfully useful for the for for the person doing it yeah and in the u k but you do, you've done three years at art college yeah. But I mean, but, so, but but
2: but any you know like any any sort of um, you know any college or university is still theory based, and you know you're doing you're doing not until you actually get real briefs and you understand real client problems because a lot of even though we were getting the odd brief, real brief to kind of work on yeah. you know through internships and stuff like that, a lot of it's still sort of quite high level. You know, at, at college, most people are doing ads for you know all the big brands like PlayStation and. They come out of the come out of colleges, sort of believe in advertising's a lot different to what it really is. You know, when you've got to come home, come home and think about a brief and how to sell a mobile phone for a two year plan.
1: Yeah, and the only the the way that you learn it as a junior is going to see the senior person involved in the job and going, "Here's the 100%. work that I've done." And the issue there that you come up up against, which I guess you would have, on your apprenticeship as well, is if they're not very good. Yeah. You're in trouble because you're going up. And going, well, um, we've done this, and they go that that shit. Go and do it again, and you're thinking, I'm sure it's actually quite good. And it, in yeah, in in cases, you might be better than. I think, and, I,
2: and and I think you're dead right. And I think a lot of people sort of, you know, miss an opportunity or, or um. You know, decide it's not for them because they might end up with someone if they are in that situation mm-hmm. where. Where they just start losing losing faith, or sort of start doubting themselves. But I think why it's important, as the senior in that relationship, you know, and I, I try and tell as many people as they sort of come up through, through any ranks, is that as quickly as you can, try and become a mentor, or try and actually teach people as well, because you learn quite a lot about yourself. And yeah. what you learn about yourself is that you know you need to be open to other way other, other way, the ways other people think, yeah, and that potentially there are better ways, and how to actually have that relationship you know, helping people as opposed to just um, overseeing them.
1: Just just judging. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So you and Damon, are, uh, this, this is DDB Johannesburg. so Boo.
2: Well, we, it was DDB. It was an interesting sort of time and it was a great, you know, now reflecting back, it was DDB. And then it changed and I'm not too sure what happened. I'm sure there was, you know, chats up at some other level, at global levels. I just remember coming into the agency, you know, about a year in and, all the ddb logos were gone and the ddb cups were gone and the mm. stationery was gone and it was an agency with no name for a while and then the the owners or the 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 seniors they sort of um the leaders at least they they sort of took it upon themselves and they cr- formed an independent there was louis gavin um um nathan ready and there was a the, the md was karen horn and they called they formed an agency called gavin ready horn so it became an independent same office New agency yeah, name. Uh,
1: in- be interesting to know on why.
2: But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was I was too young and naive yeah. to. I just knew we had a new logo, yeah, yeah. and I hadn't lost my job, and yeah. <laughs> that That's, felt good. What, what
1: else have you got to worry about? <laughs> exactly, yeah. just had a different office. Beauford was still there.
2: Um, and then and then uh, about six months into that, I think it became a TBWA agency, so it became TBWA Gavin Ready, right. And so then we became TBWA, so it was in a matter of maybe a time I can't quite remember, but it was. In what felt like about a year, I'd worked in three agencies without without leaving the office,
1: without moving. So, yeah, Hunt Lascaris.
2: Mm. Well, I think um, <coughs> Hunt Lascaris was around. It was the other TBW agency, um, right. so and I think two they've actually TBW yeah. So we were we were the we were the the other one. Um, but before I, I I was around for about another year, and then I left to go to Australia. So
1: right. So you. You're an up and coming art director in South Africa, and you go, Okay, I want to leave and I want to go to Australia. Yeah, I mean, was it, was it, that there,
2: there was basically what happened. Um, my, my wife, Bev, um, was then my girlfriend, and her family had, over the sort of years before, so leading into about 2001, was when I left South Africa, had immigrated to Australia. Mm. And I think eventually her plan was to move across and join them um why did they go did they- uh, i'm not too sure i think her her. i think they i think they they thought there would be a better life they, they australia looked like a good place i think there were a lot of people leaving south africa and there was yes. one wave of one wave of of people leaving yeah um so i think her her, her sister and her brother-in-law left first and then the family members all ended up there. And I think um, she went over and I joined her. So that was the reason to go to Australia.
1: So you, I, I think uh, you know, I, I sent you a few questions, which, yeah, yeah. which I may have. For, oh, here we are. Here we yeah. How hard was it as a, a, a someone from another country? You had no contacts. How hard was it to get into Australian advertising?
2: It took me a while um, because I didn't really plan it. I didn't. I didn't do any, you know, a lot of research or reaching out. I just, I just left. Yeah, and went across and thought, thought I hadn't a decent enough book that I could just walk around and see some people. Um, so I arrived in Australia, sort of September two thousand and one, um, and so it took me about six months to get a job. And why,
1: why didn't you email people before you went and say, hey, I'm a, I'm, I'm coming down to because credit directors as you know, extremely lazy and try and avoid uh, seeing anyone. And if you go, um, I'm, can I come and see you? I'm coming. I'm not coming for six months. I go, yes, absolutely. Because I have to worry about that six months. And then you turn up and you're in. Whereas if you turn up and you go, right, can I see you next Tuesday? They're like, oh, I'm a bit busy. And
2: probably because I was a bit um, uh, caught up in all the other emotional stuff like leaving, leaving home and moving to a country and and, um, That's where we differ. You have like these p- emotional p- issues potentially like sort of you know hadn't really had hadn't thought hadn't really thought through that it might be hard. So there was there was probably a bit of arrogance as well that I right. thought I yeah. had a decent enough book and kind of felt that if I landed in Australia and just hustled enough, which yeah. I did do. Once I landed, I quickly got like a list of agencies, went and saw some people, yeah, and did go and see as many people as I could. Showed them my work. Um, I think Australia was going through a bit of a time. It was post um, post the Olympics. So I think there was a bit of a slump there. Yeah. So that's well, at least that's what everyone told me until I realized I just yeah. needed to work harder. And then I realized I just had to get into the into the industry. Yeah. And, um, you know, there, there's... Whilst South Africa and Australia are similar in a lot of cultural ways, I think there's a yeah. difference in, you know, humor and um, understanding the, the culture of Australia. So I, I just got I, I to... Took a few jobs where I wasn't getting paid for a while. Yeah. Um, found myself in a small agency doing a lot of um, uh, um, real estate stuff. Like sort of there There was a lot of there was a big building, like sort of a building boom, a lot of big apartment complexes going up. And this agency had sort of found its niche sort of marketing those. And so I, I worked there for about six months and realized quite quickly that if I wanted to really get into advertising, I had to get in a bigger agency. So yeah. I f- found myself... But
1: that sounds like almost like getting
2: into advertising again. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think, and that, and that was that was a great lesson because I think I think one of the things a lot of people sort of never think about doing is maybe taking a step backwards to kind of get yes. a couple of steps forwards. You know, they 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 build up this image of themselves that now I'm this, and now I've got this experience, and now I'm a senior this, and never really go well. Maybe I've got a bit more to learn, so I'm you know I'll try I'll try a step step backwards or or sideways and actually take a moment to actually sort of observe what's happening and reflect a bit so and i got into i got i was lucky enough to get into mc saatchi um but once again i just was happy to be in a big agency i worked on the on the woolies account the Woolworths account um in their credit department there was a lot of fast retail lots of um lots of catalog stuff but it was in a big agency and learning again from you know my time in South Africa, just be around people and find opportunities, find briefs, mm. and sort of prove your worth and that you're willing to work hard. And um,
1: I think that that point that you made earlier is is very important for um, people that if you find yourself, you ha- sometimes you have to go back. Hundred percent. You have to go back. You know, at the age of twenty eight or something, I you know I went back to being a student, was unemployed, yeah. and then started again in advertising on you know fifty pounds a week or something and yeah you've got to go back to go forward sometimes i I think that's i think
2: that's one of the lessons i've sort of learned over and over again in my in my life is that i think when you reach a point where you sort of believe and you believe that you you're one thing and that's all you're going to be i think you you're never going to learn anything more and you 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 close yourself down to quite a few opportunities and i learned by going back and getting into an agency at a very um was another junior level, but a very sort of um, um, retail level. I all of a sudden yeah. learned that, you know, my idea of advertising had been formed around creating certain types of ad. that was like TV ads or yeah. print ads and, you know, in South Africa, like the DPS, you know, double page spread print ad was like holy grail of coming up with something, but actually advertising could be a lot more interesting. I ended up working in the um, direct marketing department of of um MC Saatchi with, uh, I think you might know, a chap named Dave King.
1: Kingy, yeah, was he working with was Gavin? Was that yeah,
2: and yeah. Gav, yeah. So yeah. And we're lucky enough to have them sort of um, um, leading that, and you know, there we were making <clears throat> making sort of really interesting work. Like sort of DM, you know, was was a great learning learning curve in the sense that you know ideas aren't just expressions expressed in ads; they could be, you know. Things or mm. uh, uh, a way of communicating to people where you can connect in them in different ways. And yeah. So that, if I if I hadn't sort of taken that step back and got into m which was a great agency, and there were some really you know great people there like Tom Mack who who ran it, um, you know, was open to people doing that. And uh, Ben ben Welsh, yeah? ben Welsh, yeah, yeah, he's a lovely man. So he was he was the ECD there for for the whole time I was there. He's he's gone on to DDB now in Sydney.
1: Yeah, I think that a lot of the uh, early practitioners of advertising, the really good ones, came in through at, uh, a much more selling, di- direct yeah. background. I'm thinking of Howard uh, Gossage or Gossage, as the Americans like to call him. Don't know if you're familiar with him. David Ogilvy was yeah. d- door-to-door salesman. Bernbach, I don't know about, um, to be honest, but certainly I think th- there was a grounding of of understanding the sales process and then using that knowledge to create the ad yeah whereas I suspect that maybe now kids coming out of college' it's just make the ad it's without without putting the thought I think that um, things like behavioral economics that um, Kahneman and his disciples almost like Rory Sutherland um, talk about a real understanding of the consumer of of what will make the consumer react rather than what you want to say that the part of you that you want to put up on the screen or on a piece of paper to show how clever you are is maybe not always the answer yeah i think there's some fundamentals indirect
2: that they really sort of set the set the sort of scene um and i think and i yeah and i think and i think yeah just understanding like sort of what what else you have at your disposal and then you see a lot of young people sort of see the format as an idea, you know? So yeah nowadays with, with so many formats, like in, in you know, in social or different types of video or different types of technology, like the direct, direct mail and sort of that way of thinking, you, you see those as vehicles to deliver communication and, and messages, as opposed to the thing itself, like, you know, Snapchat being the idea.
1: Yes. Yeah. I, I I think if they, if direct mail went back to its other nomenclature of direct response, yep. that makes it that 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 to me was really interesting aspect of it. In that you did something and you then get a response, and so that you know whether or not you did it well. It's as simple as like doing a Facebook post. You put a Facebook post up, picture of your cat, and you get ten likes, and they're from relations. You go well. That, that's that's probably not great, and and there's a you actually get, you know, I think, a, a dopamine from. Yeah. That's why people get addicted to to Instagram or Facebook. Not intelligent older gentlemen like ourselves, but um, younger, more impressionable individuals. Um, you know, judge themselves on on how many likes that they got for their latest um, picture of the meal that they were having.
2: The instant, the, the instant feedback loop. Yeah, or sometimes they're not that instant, which then leads to people feeling inadequate. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So, um, so that would that sort of taught me a lot. Um, and then from there, from M which was a great agency, went to um, an independent at the time, uh, BMF, yeah. which was um, Brown Millish Mil- 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 Fishlock. Fishlock. Yeah. yeah, and so that was that was that was a really sort of. Um, a great learning experience because they were they were a great agency, making a lot of interesting work at the time and some really really good accounts. A lot of um, um, sort of booze accounts. Lion Lion Nathan was a yeah. big account.
1: They did that. Um, yeah, I remember remember them from the times. Warren Brown had been at BBH in London. Yeah, I think yeah. And so he
2: was he was uh, fantastic to work with and work for. Um, you know, really set a high bar. But didn't really complicated things. Really understood that you know you you know great work um, connecting with as many people as possible was was the recipe for success. I think you know they they had a they had a um, a reputation for making interesting and different work. But it was never just interesting and different. Speaking to a few people, yeah. you know Warren really believed in like sort of uh, the, his phrase was populous and fresh. You know like sort of you know you can make work that's just popular and isn't surprising, and you can make work that's just fresh and only a few people see it. So he yes. he, really, he really sort of um, sort of had that mindset, which um, which was good.
1: There is, there is a saying: "Most advanced yet acceptable." This is the, uh, it, it's a, a, a design phrase. Uh, it came from a very famous designer in, in the states, whose name I'm I'm not going to bother to look up as well. Yeah, but it means. If you are too advanced, you've lost people. Yeah. You, they, they they look at you uh, um, blankly, like like being too early. Yep. Like you work on Boundary Road Brewery now. Yep. When we worked on it, uh, we said to um, the guys there, we were picking up that craft beer was coming in cans. And we said, get ahead of the curve, get in cans. Um, and no, people, you know, craft beer is not canceled at back bottles. And we're like, look, you know, look around the world. This is. This is what's happening. Yeah. Right? And so they did it, put Boundary Brewery in cans. No one bought it. Didn't so at So they delisted the whole thing, stopped it. Two years later they reintroduced it because everybody was drinking craft beer out of cans. Most advanced yet yet acceptable. It's it's in the future, but it, it relates to things that you understand. Yeah. You don't you you don't want to get it, which is exactly I think a different way of yes. talking about what um Warren. Warren Brown was on the bat. And, and
2: and I think um, I think it's, you know, it's, it's quite obvious when you really think about it because you know, there's only a handful of people that want to be the first. You know, once there's once there's once there's enough people being the first, then it's acceptable to you know join that.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, being first doesn't often work. People talk about first mover advantage. Well, Apple didn't invent the PC. Ranked Xerox. Um, invented the PC. Facebook was not the first Facebook. MySpace, was it, I think, was the first Facebook. It's not about being first, it's about being best. Google was not the first search engine, but it very, very quickly just became the best. I think, and I, um,
2: going back just to um, South Africa, the ECD there, do you them and sort of... right at the beginning sort of told me there's no formula to advertising. And then then gave me the formula, yeah. which was um, the right amount of um, familiarity with the right amount of surprise, which is a similar sort of thing. Like so, yeah, too much surprise and people don't know what you're talking about. And yeah. it's just, it's, it's too foreign. Too much familiarity and it's familiar and boring and therefore why should I be interested? But you know, if you can get that balance right, where this feels, there's comfort in what you tell me, but there's enough newness and surprise that's where you start to create some, some interesting... It's like, it's
1: like, you know, add to 30 seconds or 60 seconds. Movies are an hour and a half. Uh, why? Uh, because they are. Because the, uh, that's what you're used to. If you go out, you go out to, to a movie and it's um, 50 minutes long, you're not happy. because no. it's, it's outside, your, outside your, uh, your understanding of the way that movies ought to be. That's why three wall cars never took off, amongst other reasons.
2: They took they there too long. Um yeah, so so BMF was a was yeah, was a great um great experience and a, a lovely time. Did some great work there. Um and and just really different work and different people and it and it felt it felt um it felt like a good a good agency with good people and everyone sort of in the right sort of mindset. Yeah. Um
1: yeah, when I when agencies click, uh, Yeah. and I I think they describe it as humming. Is that right? It's just everything is—you're all moving in the same direction. And yes, there are speed bumps and yeah, things. You know, and doesn't that.
2: mean it's easy. It just means that you know there's a collective ambition and yeah, people sort of know what what the what the um, what the deal is and what kind of work people want to make and yeah, the um you know what people want to achieve, which is and and then people want to people want to be there. So I think it was and they were successful. Um, Warren and Matthew, you know, went on to create a successful agency. I think they were agency of the decade in yeah. Australia. At a time when Australian advertising, you know, um, was embracing new agencies, I think sort of towards the end of my time, the Australian advertising got quite tricky and quite conservative in a way. And and that that was just happening around the world. I think the, you know, advertising, the marketing and just the the corporate world got got really corporate and conservative and it became the trend to have multiple agencies and, you know, you had like five or six agencies pitching on business, which just never really...
1: Didn't do the industry any good. Um. No, pitching pitching is is the worst way of finding out. Yeah. Uh, finding out uh, um, who is best for a client to work with, but agencies throw themselves at it, and seems seems like they want to do it. No one's going to stop doing it, so it's just going to it's going to carry on. I agree. I mean, but you know,
2: we, we should we should look at ourselves as well. We do that every time we write an ad and get production companies to pitch for us.
1: Production, uh, yes. I've I've had um, high production companies. I've had production companies complain about that. But the amount of work that they put into yeah. the pitching is minuscule compared to compared to what we Okay, it's one job as opposed to potentially. Um, going on um that wasn't meant to be um con- conversate
2: um cause trouble i just i uh, just think sometimes we we are we are sometimes quick to blame certain processes where we we adopt them ourselves sometimes as well
1: yes yeah okay um <laughs> i'm a hypocrite no no no. <laughs> that wasn't the
2: point um yeah so um bmf um and i think um so it had been 12 years in Australia. Australia is a, a, a fantastic place. Um, family's all there. And I think um, Bev and my kids, sort of the kids got old enough and we, we always thought that maybe we could go for an adventure somewhere else. Um, we'd been to New Zealand a few times just to travel and just on holidays. where had you been? Queenstown? Well, all- <laughs> yes. <laughs> Obviously Queenstown. beautiful yeah. down there. Um, it is. Uh, all around all around. All around New Zealand, a lot more the South Island than mm. than, than the North Island, um, and then an opportunity sort of came up here um, to to come and look at DDB.
1: Was that was that through a headhunter?
2: It was, and it, and it was surprisingly through a headhunter I'd never heard of, so <laughs> oh, which fair. which was interesting. Um, I was looking at at the time as well potentially to go to the States. I think I think luckily that that didn't happen. Um, mostly also because I think it would be too far away from family in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think l- sort of looking long term at that time, it felt like a country maybe that there w- there wasn't wasn't
1: right for, for us as a family. Uh, okay, you you saw the destruction that was about to wash over the, the, the states? No, I could never have seen that. But <laughs>
2: But it seemed like sort of a it's sort of a, a contradiction in itself. Um, but also, New Zealand was a beautiful country, and it felt it felt um, it felt like a right fit. So we was supposed to be a two year a two year stint, you know, just as a bit of an adventure. Yeah. And eight years later,
0: Do you solemnly swear that the testimony you're about to give to be the truth.
1: So you, uh, you came over to to DDB. Yeah. And who were you in charge? No. Um, so that
2: was a, that was another moment we were talking about taking steps back. So at at B, at BMF, I'd been sort of um, made ECD um, and was quite young and thought that's exactly what I wanted to do at the time. Mm. Having been CD and had made some great work, you learn quite quickly when you get you know get to get to something that you think you want that maybe you're not ready or maybe it's not all that it's cracked up to be. Um, but it was a great learning experience. I came came across to DDB and uh, went back down to CD level. Mm. At the time, um, Andy Fackrell mm. was uh, was the ECD and in charge. I think um, I think there was there was a, a, an opportunity or a view that potentially that I could come, become the ECD there. And so yeah. there, there was there was at least a a progression if if that was the case. So who,
1: who interviewed you for the Andy,
2: Andy Andy, 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 Justin, Andy? and Sandy, Sandy at the time. So yeah. Sandy, yeah. So you
1: CEO at the time.
2: He was the CEO. So I. I I caught up with Andy a couple of times because he was he was over in um, Sydney a few times and came over met Justin and Lucinda Lucinda yeah. Sherborne yeah. the planet, had a planning and then Sandy as well and um, they were all lovely people and it seemed to work out and then and then I went back and then Bev came over and met them all my wife just to just to give them the the, the final sort of once over yeah. and then
1: and then you should talk about how what differences we you, did you pick up between. So you know you've worked at, at reasonably big, well thought of agencies in Australia, South Africa, and New Zealand. How how would you say New Zealand differ from the other two, or didn't?
2: Um, I think um, my time in time in Australia sort of helped me sort of just appreciate the cultural context of this part of the world. I think New Zealanders and Australians are different but quite similar in terms of the appreciation for you know humor uh, and entertainment. Humor. Yeah, pretty much being funny. Um, I think um, I think. New Zealand's always been pretty good at doing advertising. They do quite world-class work. Um, But I found the the level of ambition was a lot higher and the desire to actually prove that we can do world-class work was a lot more. I think, I think in Australia, there was just like an expectation and a sense of, you know, we're, we're big and therefore we've done good work before. So it's expected where in New Zealand, there was a, there was a drive to always do better work and be better, which.
1: Yeah, it's, it's maybe it's a it's a younger brother thing. Australia, <laughs> yeah. you know, the Australia, uh, uh, you know they think they're there. They they, yeah. they think that that we're sorted. We have the best country in the world. Everything's great. We just have to like spin plates and everything will be hunky dory. Whereas in New Zealand, it's always trying to prove something, trying to get the. Um, Support of the of the rest of the world at whatever it is that we're doing, and it's not until we get that that we that we feel that we've done the job. New Zealanders are so proud. Part of the reason I suspect that the Labour Party are doing so well in polls is because the response to, to COVID in New Zealand has been touch wood so effective that the rest of the world is pointing at us and yeah. going where, well, and that makes Kiwis feel so proud. That you know, we're brilliant at, uh, talk to, uh, John talking to John Higgage, but uh, that, uh, that, um, you know, we're re- re- so good at rugby, um, and fighting pandemics, and it's you know, something for the I think, I, I think that's
2: dead, I think that's dead right. Um, someone described exactly the you know, the big brother, little brother dynamic between Australia and New Zealand, um, you know, every now and then. Like like Australia doesn't really think about us. Yes, where we constantly yeah. think about them. And it's the same yes. way smaller brothers always like, and I've got two sons so I can see it where yeah. and every now and then the big brother just walks past and flicks the smaller brother on the ear and that like yeah. sort of, you know, causes causes more Yeah, you know, I'll show you um, I remember a funny story I think it was during the um, one of the Olympics um when New Zealand had got onto the top ten like sort of uh medal tally before Australia. Yeah. And, I, and 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 back in Australia in the in the the newspaper they used to print the the medal tally on the front page while the Olympics was going on that you know and i think for the for the day that new zealand were on the top 10 and they weren't they just printed 1 to 9 and just left yeah. new zealand off
1: i i don't know if that's true but i can, <laughs> I, can I can i can absolutely believe it so so
2: yeah, and and then i think sort of other differences which people might have pointed out before i think new zealand um, as an industry is way more supportive even though you know some some comments on certain blogs might might not look that way. I think that you get to know people in the industry and people share, maybe just because we're smaller and we see each other a bit more. People share what's going on and you feel connected to an industry, which was very similar to South Africa. The industry was really close and you knew people yeah. in other agencies, no matter what level you were. You, There wasn't a sense of like competition, even though there is that, you know, you don't know anything about my agency. People actually share share what's going on. so so that was really noticeable. And then I think your client partners, um, are are accessible and yeah and senior ones as well so you can have quite smart fast conversations a lot of a lot of um, a lot of the difference between making great advertising and bad advertising is being able to get to a yes or no faster and i think yes. and i think in some bigger countries where there's a lot of layers in departments you you, you sit at maybe for a long time and yeah. you know the maybe in an agency is always yes yeah. So you keep working and you keep developing and you keep trying until you come against so a no and then that that becomes, you know, a problem. Whereas, you know, what we try and do in our agency and what I've always tried to do in, in New Zealand is that you can talk to people who can get your yes or no faster. Like,
1: Yeah, and I, I think that there can be a problem within agencies when you, I don't know if it's for you, but I kind of sense if a client doesn't like an idea they might even say that, that they love it and yeah. it's definitely going to happen but you just know it's it's actually not uh, maybe it's some uh, uh, pessimist or realist as i no, like, as right i like just... to call it but you you just you just feel it and uh, or you know the, the team will present and, and the and the client will go oh yeah you know Maybe. which to me means I fucking hate it. I never want to see this again in my life. And the team will want to go back and represent it three times. And you are like, guys, guys, it ain't going to happen. No. Um, and
2: I think, but in I think in, in New Zealand, you if you feel that you can often a time phone that person straight afterwards and actually yeah. get an honest answer. Yeah, and then have to go an, and, an honest
1: no. Yeah,
2: well, that's better than a, than an honest maybe or. Yeah, and, and I think and I think um, or dishonest maybe. <laughs> and I think. um I mean, it, it's also a Kiwi trait. It seems to be to be polite all of the time. So, not a bad trait. <laughs> no, don't, no yeah. but sometimes that politeness is, particularly when it comes to work and presenting ideas. They'll go, okay, well, let's see where it goes. If you want to work on it, yeah, you know, well, that's yeah, the, the classic Kiwi year now. Yeah, yeah, boy. If you, if if you think there's something in it, you're know, okay, let's we'll see where that goes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I really enjoyed my time at DDB. Did some great work. Through great people there. Um, and, um, you know, sort of, I think obviously you've been there and there's been some great people through DDB. I think it's a really, really strong agency with a good, strong leadership. Like you,
1: you've been there and there have been some really good people through it. And well, there was supposed
2: to be you've been there and there's also been other good people <laughs> as well as you, Paul.
1: <laughs> you oh, can I edit that well, one we, out. We look, That's fantastic.
2: Oh, well, thank you so much.
1: So it's a uh, coffee for those Such of you is. not watching in... Colour, uh, coffee has just appeared. HD. Um, I think they were listening downstairs and could tell we needed some stuff. So cheers. cheers. Right, you. so you're at DDB for several years. And, and, and it, yeah, I'm going to hopefully um, talk to Marty yeah. next week. and that's, that's big I news. Have, I have a... a um, Listeners, uh, Marty O'Halloran, who is I don't know, chairman and CEO of Australia, DDB Australia New Zealand, was it was announced that he's going to run DDB globally from New York. The difficulty is getting it, getting him up there. Yeah, and I have some some interesting questions about how DDB DDB in this region has been consistently one of the top two agencies. Yeah, if not the single top one over the last twenty years. Yeah, incredible, incredible, consistent run.
2: Definitely, and I'm, I'm, I count myself lucky like to have been there for, through through some of those years. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Marty, you know, congratulations to him. That's a that's a that's a big, big role. And also, I think it's great to see people from this side, this part of the world, like take those jobs. I know our um now TBWA, I'm I'm at our our global CEO is um, a guy named Troy Rohanen. He's he's Australian as well. So yeah. Very. Very Marty-esque in his stature. Yeah, so but that's uh, going to be an interesting time in New York to you're,
1: you're talking about people from this part of the world, but they appear to be um, Australians, Shane, rather than. I, I think if yeah. I
2: think I think if you if you have Marty in here next week, if you pressed him, he would say that he's Australian, but you know his heart's in New Zealand.
1: Yes, I will, uh, and I will press him. <laughs> no, um, not not too hard, but I will. I I, I want to know um, who's. Who's kids support up to rugby because uh, Deborah, his um, wife, is obviously a Kiwi, and they live over here. I'd be interested to know, yeah, the affiliation. Not that anyone plays international rugby anymore, or or, or sport generally for that matter. So you got a you got a call from somewhere from uh, a headhunter you'd never met before or whatever to uh, hey, why don't you come over to be ECD at TBWA? Yeah.
2: So yeah. so no, I, is, is it called? It's called TBWA. Yeah. We'd yeah. lost the vibe and, yeah, yeah. I think it's been been a few years. I think, yeah. yeah. So, I um, I I'd been, I'd met um, Catherine Harris, the CEO yeah. now, at TBWA. I met her sort of um, early 2018 and we, we, we spent some time together chatting and sort of understanding where the agency's at and sort of what she saw the opportunity as. Um, I... I'd I'd met and worked um, I'd worked with Paul Bradbury who's the um, CEO regionally yeah. for T he's in Sydney and I'd worked with him at at Saatchi, Sachi so I knew him and I met and chatted to him and it sounded like um it sounded like an interesting opportunity in and and I think as you as you pointed out I think DDB um, along with Colenso along with a few other agencies you know they have been like sort of the big agencies over the last 20 years I think TBWA had been a great agency quite a few years ago. I think when Andy was there and Diva, yeah, Yeah. but and so it seemed like an agency that could potentially get back to being being interesting and and um, uh, formidable in this in this market. And it seemed I got on with Catherine really really well, and there seemed to be a good plan there, and it felt like an opportunity. I think whilst I was I was still enjoying my time at DDB, there was there was just a part of me that like like we chatted about, like sort of going back or going going into another position where you learn something new, yeah, and have an opportunity to to see if you've got what it takes in a good partnership to create something that's interesting and different and potentially could be good. so and I think it will be.
1: So that that um, brings me on to one of the written questions because we're highly professional here at the uh, Truth and Soul podcast, who have you, who would you say you've learned the most from in your career?
2: Can I, can I have four people? Mm, Mm, Okay. (laughs) So I go, I go right back to Tanya Barker, the the, um, art director that I was the assistant to. Um, She taught me, you know, a lot about art direction and, and advertising. I think what she taught me, which has kept me in good stead is in an agency, um, if you if you are involved in anything or touch something, as she said it, you have to be willing to take responsibility for it. And I think um, even if someone asks you an opinion or asks you what they think or just to help out on something, you have to be you have to see it as your as if it's your own your own project or own job.
1: Well, that could that could be difficult because someone goes, oh hey, I've just done this ad. What do you think? And you go, well, you need to completely re-edit it, change the music. Um, the end line doesn't really. <laughs> Where uh, do you stop? Well, no,
2: no. And it's 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 no matter. It, 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 at that time, it was just, you know, give yourself 100% if, if you've asked to be involved in it. Mm. And and be willing to, you know, stand up for it or be responsible for it, which I think a lot of people to that point are quite happy just to be be drive-by comments or drive-by opinions. Yeah. And not really sort of have, have some ownership in it. So I think that was a good lesson for me. And, it, and you did, right? Like sort of where do you stop? I think that's 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 a learning a learning lesson as well. Sort of when is your opinion not wanted, or mm. when quite is it?
1: quite often in my experience. Uh, uh, okay. and then,
2: and then uh, uh, Warren Brown, yeah, Warren Brown definitely um, on how to how to be a creative leader, how to you know think about advertising not just as advertising for this for the sake of advertising, you know, to try and connect with as many people as possible, and yeah, you know, and how to how to create a. a a, an atmosphere and a and a and a culture that's more more about the work and about you know enjoying each other's company than you know chips and beer on a Friday. Yeah, um, definitely Damon. My sort of time with Damon has yeah. been has been really instrumental.
1: As Damon Stableton people. Uh, if if you haven't heard, he's on a previous podcast.
2: Yeah. So my um you know it's been a long creative partnership with some breaks in between, but you know to someone that I get on with and respect immensely. And, you know, we, we seem to align on a lot of, a lot of things when it comes to advertising in terms of how, how to make the kind of work we want to make. And then I'd say more recently, probably Catherine, my yeah. business partner, um, just her passion and, um, sort of smarts for the business and, you know, um, being quite a, quite an innovative and modern leader that sort of sees, sees our, our, our business as a creative business, not just a business that then has. A creative apartment tacked on. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. So those would be the four people that I've learned the most from.
1: That was three, wasn't it? No, four. That was four. Right I asked for four. You said three. <laughs> I snuck in another. Hey, we're creative. <laughs> we're not. We're not, uh, we're not good at maths. Uh, so uh, this is this is always my favourite one, and I yeah. hope I hope you've got one. What 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 is the biggest mistake that you've made in your career? Funny enough, with my notes,
2: that's the one that I've. I've, I haven't got an answer for. Um, oh come on! I'm not gonna not gonna say like there were no mistakes because there were
1: learning curves. I think I think mistakes probably. Um, what, what at the time you go oh fuck, this is bad. But now looking back on it, you can laugh. Well, it, they, normally what happens in those that situa- like sort of from thinking back, they
2: they at the time they they're the details that you missed out. I mean, quite practically, I remember. A, I was responsible f- for mocking up a, a DM pack that was going to go to nearly fifty thousand people, mm. and um, I was responsible for the finished art of it. and And I never put, I never replaced the um, as you do, you put a a dummy number, a dummy phone number that that you need to replace with the proper phone number yeah. before it goes out. And I and I and I think I just left the the seven zeros there. <laughs>
1: That's a good one,
2: and and That's and and never picked it up until the fifty thousand uh, DM packs were printed.
1: So, so how, when that was discovered, how did the conversation go? Um,
2: <laughs> well, I think it's like those scenes in the movie where the background moves really quickly towards the back of your head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because i don't think that there's nothing you can do i think i think
1: yeah but someone comes up it was there a lot of finger like pointing like, or did they just oh
2: no i think i think i think it depends on who you work with you know like sort of the the person person probably was shitting themselves more than me because they were the they were the accounts person and sort of quietly said um so we got a problem <laughs> and and i was like what well, like and you know as we've been trained to assume that maybe the client's changed something and yeah. now we have to solve the problem she and I was like, okay, well, that, what is it? And she said, uh, we don't have a phone number on the fifty thousand DM packs. <laughs> I'm just rubbish! Look, look, there it is. Look, and then you go back and check my artwork. Oh, no. <laughs> so yeah, so I think we had to take it on the chin and get them reprinted.
1: Although, uh, although that would have been checked by fifteen people. Yeah. So. Uh, yes, yeah, so I think not entirely your fault. So I think what happens, uh, and and when when you're
2: in a good agency, I think sort of um good agencies sort of have collective success and collective blame. So I think everyone yes. goes, you know, bad yes. agencies where there's yep. individual success and individual blame. So I think collectively, everyone went, yep, it's a stuff up you know, obviously it had to go through the process and the process dropped the ball. It originated with you, not putting the number in. You but, idiot. But, <laughs> but, you know, and so, yeah, we had to get it reprinted.
1: I actually found that Marty was, um Marty Allen was great at that. On occasion, I've had to, Go, um, uh, Marty. You know, this has this has happened, and you know, I take responsibility for it. And, and it's going to cost the agency you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And he he's been yeah, no trouble. Never and I,
2: and, but, I think, and I think that's the that's the that's the key thing in that experience. Um, you know, a good learning, but like sort of a good learning in general is that um, if if you know something's wrong or going off the rails, the longer you keep quiet, yeah. the more people are going to hate you. But if you jump ahead and take responsibility and go, hey guys, this has happened or I can see that this has happened and 100% my fault, yeah. then people go, okay, cool. How do we fix it? And I think because we only we only really have one currency in this business and that's time. And I think that's where people sort of freak out. Like the longer you the longer you take to kind of tell people that things are wrong or that it wasn't your fault, you have less time to actually fix I, it. I
1: think we have money as well. I think that's a currency. Yeah. You know? well, I mean, that's I was talking about this industry, oh, currencies. Didn't mean to be picky, but <laughs> so uh, who taught you how to be an ECD? This is this is the, the reason I asked this is that. We talked about this with with some other illustrious guests, but there's no there's no course there's no how to be an ECD, ECD course. CEOs don't know how to do it because they've never been a creative person, and somebody. But I guess. Warren Brown maybe did with you.
2: I think. Uh, I think. I think. What you. I mean, it's a. Um, yes, you could. You could say. You could say Warren or one person. I think. Um, sorry, I'm running out of space for my coffee. Um, I think. I think you. When you get. When you get told you're going to be an ECD, you know you, you. You feel good, and then you. Then you. Then you're scared. I think. Um, I think it's a, a collection of of um, creative leaders you worked with.
1: Right monkey see, monkey do.
2: No, not necessarily. Like, so for example, working with Dave and Gav, you yeah. you you learn certain things, and you and you and you um, you can appreciate them. I think it's the collect collection of experiences that you have that give you give you the confidence and the know how. But I think yeah, Warren would be the one that sort of um, gave me the best advice and the best um, sort of guidance around doing it.
1: Yeah, because I think there's a difference between knowing physically what you have to do. You have to yeah. look at work and like it and potentially change it and present the big work and, and, and hire uh, and fire people. But the the bigger philosophical, what am I trying to achieve through my job for the greater good of mankind, the greater good of the agency and understanding that that because in, in the old days there were the craze all, the, all i care about is the word i just want the yeah. word to be, well it, there's a lot more to it yeah that, i think
2: i i mean i i think if you if you are fortunate enough to get into that position where you where you become an ecd i think you've got to ask yourself sort of a month six months a year into it do i want to be an ecd because I've, I've spoken to people who have, who, have, who have made it there and they think this is where i have to go because my Career progression gets me there, mm. and then realise that actually what they really, really want to be is just a really good senior creative, mm. because you're dead right. Because I think you can't just. What happens when you become a C- ECD is that you sort of um, you go from being a an extremist to a diplomat, and I think when you become an ECD, yeah. you know you have to you have to see more. Of the bigger picture that's happening around you, you can't yes. just be like sort of this is an idea and I believe in it, and I, I don't care what what else happens around me. we have yeah. got to make it. So I think, and I think um, that's the part that you've got to come to terms with and actually understand that there's a lot more going on than just. Than there just there the was work. certainly
1: in London a number of people who were made, ECDS or creative directors, something those days, and did it for a bit and then went. No. No. I just want to. I just all I care about is the world I just want to go and do that and I'm good at that and I think and I think too often in our agencies like
2: right back to you know the 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 chat we're having about like sort of the allowing your your mind and your ego to go actually that's what I'm really good at and I enjoy that and therefore I'm quite happy to go well I don't need the responsibility and the understanding and um the the I guess the the open-mindedness to be an ECD, I want to go back to just being that. And I think even uh, agencies don't allow people to do that and go like, hey, or honest with people, they just think, okay, you've been a junior, you know, you're an intermediate, now you're senior, now you're this, so now obviously that's that's what you have to be.
1: Yeah, he's done some great work. This was always a thing in London, he's yeah. done these, this fantastic work, so let, let's make him creative director, let's stop him making that fantastic work and put him into that. Um, Uh, Jurgen Klopp is currently seen as the the most inspirational soccer manager, football manager uh, in the world. I don't know, even know if he played the game. Yeah, yeah, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson was uh, most. I don't. You know, played left back for Scotland five times or something. They're not. Lionel Messi will not necessarily make the best coach. Make the best coach,
2: and
1: yeah, yeah, doing doing knowing what good work is helps. Yeah, but you don't necessarily have to have been producing it mm. all your life. And I think I think what
2: I think what really makes what makes a good ECD as well is being able to understand the role creative creatives and creatives play in the agency and knowing that it's it's one one part of the agency, but it has to work in harmony with all the other parts. And um I think sometimes creatives struggle with that because they they are filtered from the rest of the agency. I mean, yes. it, they, they filtered from like what, what really needs to happen to sell great work sometimes. Yes. They filtered from what really has to happen to get the right partners on board in terms of production or that to actually make great work. And I think you need to you need to understand that a little bit more intimately rather than just your part of it. And I think sometimes, yeah. I mean, I think the first year of being a CD, then even to an ECD, I think you, you are going to be a bad one. I think, yeah. and, and and it's whether
1: well, you're consistent. You still are don't you? Oh yeah, definitely.
2: I'm. A, 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 a...
1: <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> um,
2: but I think I think you know, in that you know, if you get it, if you get through that first, bit, you have to decide whether you like that part of the job. That that yeah. you unfortunately like sort of that part when I am I when I the analogy of being an extremist first diplomat, whether you are okay with sometimes. Seen work as just one part, like the actual work, the creative work, as being one part of the job, yes. as opposed to only wholly seeing that as the most important.
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, I think awards have um, have, a, have a lot to blame for here. It's if you charge, if you charge, and, and maybe even financially reward the ECD for winning awards, then doing award winning work becomes the sole focus of his job as opposed to doing good work hmm. that makes everybody happy and sells the product and keeps people in jobs it's it's almost counterproductive to go oh, never mind never mind that bit you see those shiny baubles get some of those and you're doing a good job yeah. it doesn't quite ring true to me
2: no i mean i know one of your questions that you wrote down which was uh one
1: of my intelligent
2: what would you do differently if ad awards didn't exist ah yeah do you get that one that was a question
1: yeah that what a great question it was a good question that's a really what would you do differently if ad awards didn't exist i'm
2: probably um sell and make better work because i think what i mean. Over the, over the time at DDB and definitely into TWA, I think um, awards have a place in our industry. I think w- what what has happened is that there's been just this inflation of awards. I think we worked out um, when we were at DDB that there's you could enter about twenty six shows a year, which is like one every two two weeks. Yeah, um, which means the if you if you're working half your year just on awards, that's a very inefficient agency. Mm-hmm. So I think. Being selective on the ones that that do matter, so a handful, and I think there are a few a few awards that really, really do do reflect like sort of quality work, particularly the international ones. And supporting your local local show is really important. I think DNA can are really big international ones that you do see great work at. Mm. And then I think having having a good support of your local show is just a great way to kind of keep your industry sort of yeah. in you know like sort of connected and you know celebrate great work. But I think if awards didn't exist. I think you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be. I mean, I don't think creatives would be as single-minded towards trends, and what won last year or one won, yeah. what won the last one, and therefore trying to replicate it. I think um, I think clients would be less suspicious of motives, so therefore be way more open-minded towards work that might feel interesting and creative, because they won't just see you as an agency trying to sell them something that they think. You want to win an award with, yeah, and I think um, and I think you would probably find more interesting solves to the real problems that our yes. that our clients have. So I think yeah. what what whilst awards sort of feel like sort of they open us up to kind of creativity and great work. I think what they do do if you're not careful is put blinkers on. where you are just making a variation of the same style of work?
1: Yes, yes. I I, I think it's a very interesting question that I asked you. Uh, what, what, was, that, what was your answer to your question? To it, well, here's the thing. The answer should be nothing. I'm not. I'm not saying that's the answer you should give. No, 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 but no. it should be. It no, should be. I would do exactly the same thing. Yeah. But you wouldn't. But and and nobody would. And you, uh, I, as you say, I think it's affecting work negatively.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're dead right. I think it's that you're dead right. You would do nothing different, but I think you would do nothing different, but without the external factors see, seeing you as being. Uh, um.
1: Oh, 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 oh no, I think you. I think you would. When you get a new briefing, it should be. Well, that's an interesting problem. Yes. Let's put our brains together to try and solve that problem. As opposed to, oh, that's an interesting, that's an interesting brief. I reckon we could do an award winner here.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I, I would. The only thing I would challenge is that I, and maybe it's, maybe it's me, or but I think less agencies are thinking that more and more. The, um, I know, I know, at our agency. We try and we try and like sort of approach each each brief exactly as that. Like sort of, yeah. what is the problem? What is the most interesting solve for this? What is the thing that's going to get be the most effective, but in a in a way that actually creates some sort of um, some sort of, I guess, just cultural awareness of it, or actually yeah. makes 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 an impression in the world beyond just something that's going to be disposable within 4 months i yeah, think
1: but yeah because it will it, will, yeah. it will work better i think what people forget <clears throat> or what can get forgotten is that creativity is not the end goal the end goal is effectiveness the end goal is to solve whatever problem that yep. you have to solve and creativity can help you to do that but it's not it, it's not the end which is why i'm um, marketers were new zealand marketers were asked survey you know a year or so ago it's like what, what do you look what is the most important thing that you look for in an agency and number one was creativity i'm like and number two was effectiveness Like, how how can that be your your job as a marketer is to sell whatever it is you're selling it's not to produce creative advertising it's it's to be effective and how can you rank creativity above effectiveness like they might well be lying and they might think that creativity was the correct answer to give, and creativity is, 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 uh, they, as Burnback would say, the the advantage that yeah. you have. It's a cheap advantage that you can have, but it's not the end in itself.
2: It's it's the means towards effectiveness. Means. Yes, one hundred percent.
1: Okay, violently in agreement there. Um, <laughs> if you could work at any agency in the world, what would that be? Um,
2: obviously, TBWA um, Auckland.
1: What a politician! Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, no. I, uh, honestly, I think it's you know it's been it's been a, a, a good whirlwind eighteen months, and I feel that we're 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 becoming the kind of agency we want to be. Um, but I did think about that, and obviously, yes, that that would be my answer. But <clears throat> if, if if I was if I was if I was to be able to travel in time, my answer was um, Crispin Porter in the early two thousands was a really um, Interesting agency, Chris and Porter Bogarsky. Yeah, 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 I
1: know, I know.
2: Um, at the at the time when I think they were doing, and they might have been, you know, back to our previous conversation, chasing the awards. But I think they were doing work that that broke a lot of um, the mold. You know, things like yeah. Subservient Chicken, or or even like bringing back the King, um, the stuff that they did with Minnie. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: I think there was there was a um, an energy in that agency that formed a lot of the way modern agencies think before before they became mm-hmm modern agencies
1: I, I, I do like that travel back in time i think that's yeah. that's a really interesting addition to that question which i might i might use in future
2: and i, and I think maybe because they were so, well they were an agency that as i was coming up in my career i was i was keeping an eye on because i think the work that they were doing felt fresh and different and did inspire me to try and do Different kinds of
1: work, and and it did. I think uh, actually in awards time, I think there was definitely an element, of, uh, and it, it happens in award shows. Of Crispin Porter did it, therefore,
2: yeah, it's good. And and every every year they they might have won an award, but it was it wasn't following on what they did.
1: No, yeah. but it, 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 it's it's as if an obscure little agency had done, had, yeah, no one had done it, it, it would have gone around that's a bit weird. But yeah, on your bike, but oh, Crispin Porter done, it's brilliant. And um, Finally, because we haven't actually, I haven't actually talked in depth about about your work. Mm-hmm. So, uh, another uh, piercing question to the heart of the matter: What is the one piece of work, and, and you're not allowed to have four for this? I might, I might <laughs> let you have two. What is the one piece of work that you've done which kind of sums you up as a as a as a creative person, and it it, it doesn't have it might be, the, the most successful, but the piece of work that you go, yeah, that's me.
2: This was a question that you gave me earlier, so I had time to think about it. Yeah. Um, I I am a little bit of, of the mind that you should um, – I know that some creatives say like you're only as good as your most recent work, um, but I would have to say is our latest bit of work that we've done here in New Zealand for ANZ, um, their Healthy Home Initiative – which was a big campaign, but one of the pieces out of there was a an artefact called Mr Humphreys. I don't know if you've seen Mr Humphreys. Mr Humphreys
1: is, is a uh, so Mr
2: Humphreys is the 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 problem we were solving was obviously in New Zealand. There's a lot of um, homes that aren't fit for the environment. There, you know, there's a lot of unhealthy homes, cold, wet, and damp. And um, the the brief was to promote their um, Healthy Homes initiative, which was interest free top-ups to allow you to put either insulation or or heat pumps into your homes. So,
1: yeah, for uh, for those of you not not from New Zealand, I think this is a, a problem that have in places in Australia too. In that it's it's generally it's quite warm, not as warm as in yeah. Australia, but it's generally the, the the weather is 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 okay over here and you only need heating for probably two, three months of the year. And therefore, if you're making cheap housing, in the old days, they just didn't bother to put putting any heating putting in. Just and, put another jumper on.
2: And yeah, and and I think the, the, one of the insights in in the whole project was that New Zealand's also are slightly in denial that it does get quite cold. Yeah, it's ex- and and that yeah. you know met with the mentality that like you should just tough it out. So people yeah. are living in their homes, yeah. wearing beanies and like a couple more jumpers. And unfortunately, the homes are are not fit, and a lot of people actually um, you know um, suffer particularly kids yeah i think an interesting fact obviously which we didn't we didn't really sort of push into into the work was that more people die from health related diseases due to cold houses than than people die from the road toll a year yeah so um so anyway so that the the basic the basic sort of um problem was to to actually tell people that potentially their house is unhealthy and and that's quite tricky without scaring people or or the first question that arises like how do I know whether my home's healthy or not yeah so there was there was a big sort of campaign around um, the awareness of the fact awareness of the product but we created the artifact which is uh, a little um a little ram beautifully designed um, his name's mr Humphreys based on the fact that it's humidity and cold freezing Humphreys. any
1: any particular reason why he was a sheep well we went a through male a, sheep
2: well we went through uh, quite an intensive design process design process but essentially what he does is he's he's something that you can care about so actually creating a character that you would you know you would care for um both kids and adults can relate to it but what he does is he's an indicator to how healthy your home is so we didn't want to create like sort of um, technology or plastic waste that potentially would go into people's homes and in, in landfills he's purely um sort of um uh sustainable but we found a way and um working with a guy in canada who can program wood? So he, he uses a process called it's a hygroscopic. So that how wood relates to moisture. So yeah. he's got little curly horns as a ram wood. But if the moisture goes above a certain level of humidity in your house, his horns point up. So that's an indicator that your your home's too humid. And his and his face has got thermochromatic ink on it. So the colder your home is, and it's been programmed to to the exact temperature where where a home is either healthy or unhealthy. His nose goes blue. Hmm. So he's Character that you can identify with New Zealand, you know, sheep. He's got like, hey, a little, careful, yeah, little, little, little woolly coat. Yeah. Um, something that you can kind of like learn from, but also an indicator to the to whether your home's healthy or not. And so, creating something like that, going through that process,
1: and that, that's that's out in the market. Yeah. Yep. that's out there now. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, I think in terms of uh, and and you know, answering that question, why I think that piece of work sort of defines or you know, is, is the kind of creative I am, I think, firstly, it's a it's a great piece of work to answer the problem. I think it's, it's interesting work. So it's, you know, multimedia, it's got, it's got the usual advertising, but it's got something interesting that you can talk about, get into culture. And I think it's the first piece of work that we've done as a new agency, that sort of helped build the agency into the kind of place we want to be where we create interesting work.
1: It's got everyone together with the agency, yeah. everyone behind it, something yeah. something that you can all be proud of. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much. Thank you, Paul.
2: Shame. For thank this. you for doing this again as well. I, it was lovely to see you in person as well.
1: It, it was. Uh, it is, I think, a lot because you can read the room, <laughs> <laughs> because because you can see what's going on. and uh, Definitely. And, uh, that's, uh, and also, in a sense, because we've done it before, it, uh, you can kind of self-edit it into... Yeah. areas that you kind of know what's going on but thank you very much for sharing that with us good, good luck with um, TBWA New Zealand the only agency in the world that you want to work out unless you could <laughs> go back it, in time um, travel back in time and well done for Mr Humphrey the piece of work that most represents you is a wooden sheep with a blue nose so well done thanks for coming on Shane thank you Paul appreciate it
0: you've been listening to truth
1: and soul
0: the new zealand advertising podcast
1: okay so thank you very much to the usual suspects for putting this together jonathan vanessa cole shane and the rest of the crew from franklin road drop me a line at paul at truthandsoul.co.nz if you have helpful comments unbounded praise or fishing tips Now, we have a few people who are keen to come on, and hopefully we can arrange that before too long. Organisation has never been my strong point, as many will attest, and we had a few issues with um, COVID-19, obviously. Uh, Now, young people tell me that apparently I need to encourage you to subscribe, so please find yourself encouraged. Also, a five-star review on iTunes helps, I believe. I know this may be perjury, but it's for a good cause-ish. Thank you for listening. Here's Matt Stalker to play out for you. Check out Matt Stalker and Fables on Spotify. They're great. Stay safe. Thank you.
0: Spires of candlelight While the wicked sleep sound The anxious toss and turn Thoughts come not as single spies But in battalions While the wicked sleep sound family tree is losing its leaves Please forgive my trembling hands Crudely silhouetted by the flickering spires of candlelight While the wicked sleep sound The anxious toss and turn Thoughts come not a single spice, but in battalion while the wicked sleep sound, the anxious toss